Cool. So as you can see, we have started a journey through the book of Daniel. Uh, super powerful stuff. I don't know about your experience, but last week as Matt kind of kicked us off, just a real wonderful uh, mind-opening view of the book of Daniel. It's not just some book stuck in the Old Testament somewhere that's full of these weird history lessons and weird prophetic future stuff, uh, but understanding and recognizing that God actually wants to speak to us through it. Um, and I'm trusting that even this week, as we look at the second part of the series, um, that God is going to speak to us. And so I do want to encourage you that if the Lord does speak to you, if He highlights anything, uh, you can stop listening to the rest of me. Uh, please listen to Him. That's why we are here. Uh, we want to bring our gifts to bear upon one another, uh, but only insofar as it actually leads us to Christ. When we're there, let's stay there. Amen. Cool. So if you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Daniel. Um, and I do want to encourage us, as I did last week, uh, let us find ourselves through the week in the book of Daniel. It's incredibly helpful to have the full context uh, of the story of Daniel as you are reading through these verses. So Daniel 1, if we can all turn there. Uh, I'm just going to read the very first verses that Matt read last week just to kind of keep the flow for us. Daniel chapter 1. <clears throat> in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah... King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his own gods. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, Versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace, they were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years, so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the God whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, that the king had set for them to be brought in. The palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke to them. 
And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so we all shall become vegetarians. No, we shan't. I'm sure that is not the message of Daniel. Um, But some really interesting ideas coming from that first chapter in Daniel. And so what we're going to be looking at today is the faithful people of God. The faithful people of God. What do they look like, the faithful people of God? As As we see through the Scriptures and even through Daniel, essentially what we learn is that there really are only two types of people in the world. There's the faithful and there's the unfaithful. That's pretty much it. There's no in-between space. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. And so some of the language that the scriptures use is that there is a faithful bunch of people and that there is an unfaithful bunch of people. Not only do the scriptures reveal that to us, but history, right? Throughout history and people that we can think of, uh, even within the church, there are a faithful bunch and then there's an unfaithful bunch. What we do see throughout scripture is that it does seem that the faithful bunch are generally the smaller proportion, right? And so we, I think every one of us, our heart's desire is to see the entire world come to salvation. Uh, but if we look at Scripture statistically, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, there's always going to be a remnant. There's always going to be a smaller proportion of people who become faithful to the Lord. And so what does faithful look like? How, when they talk about Daniel and his friends as being faithful, what does that look like? And so this is where I was saying that to read the rest of Daniel is incredibly helpful. Uh, One of the kings has a dream, and he's forgotten about Daniel. It's a few kings later. He has a dream, and he's really troubled. And then the queen says, ah, I remember this guy called Daniel. Um, And so uh, let's describe him a little bit. And what it says is that soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps. Uh, This is Daniel 6. Because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the presidents and the satraps try to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom. This is what faithfulness looks like. But they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption could be found in him. South Africa. The men said, we shall find... We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of God. That's what faithfulness looks like. They recognize that there is no way that they can trap him unless they can trip him up in the law of God. Knowing that the very thing by which he lives, if they can use that against him, then they've got something. So how did they find an accusation against Daniel? They found that he had an absolute refusal to stop seeking God through prayer. He refused. No matter what accusations or what was commanded of him and his friends, the one thing that they refused to do was to stop seeking God through prayer. And the funny thing about that story of Daniel is uh, when he was commanded uh, not to pray uh, to God or to seek counsel from anyone else other than Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, That is how they tripped him up. Uh, But the funny thing is that when he continued in his prayer, it's not like he went into some hidden room somewhere, right? He goes where there's an open window. He could have hidden himself, but he had a 
He had a faithfulness to God that said to him, I'm not hiding this one thing that I do, which is to pray regularly to God. He goes to the window, prays to God, and so the satraps and the, and the presidents, they see him, and they're like, this is how we're going to get him. And so he's a faithful man who refuses to trip up in faithfulness to God and what God has commanded. Luke 18 We see Jesus telling a parable to his disciples about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This scripture, this Luke 18, suddenly came alive to me this week when I recognized that Jesus tells them a parable about their need to pray and not to lose heart. We see Daniel being a person who continually gives himself to prayer and not to lose heart. What is Daniel described as? Faithful. Yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? One of the biggest uh, realities or outworkings of a people who truly are faithful to God is that they're a praying people. Prayer is an outworking of a people who trust God so much that they will pray, that they will find themselves on their knees, and his parable is that they would pray without losing heart. And so some of us, when we prayed last week for healing, I had some testimonies of people who were healed, but there's also testimonies of people who weren't healed, right? So what does that mean? We chuck out prayer? No. We find ourselves persistent in prayer. Continually trusting that God alone is the one who can heal. Whether he determines it right now or not, that's completely up to him. But what Jesus says is that people of faith on earth are those who are found continually. And Matt brought that up at prayer this morning. Continually in prayer. Not praying once a year when our tax returns have to go in and we're like, oh, Lord, please get me something back. Continually in prayer is a sign of the faithful. And so number one, the faithful seek God whatever the cost. The faithful of God seek Him whatever the cost. And so those two types of people throughout Scripture, faithful and the unfaithful, in this Description, the faithful are Israel, Um, they are the ones who acknowledge and submit themselves to God's rule, obviously in a perfect world, they're the ones who walked in the blessed way, Uh, the unfaithful are Babylon, they're those who serve all other gods and not the God that we know, Uh, and so they live in essentially the cursed way, the the way that does not attract the blessing of God. And so these are the two kind of worlds and people which are described through Daniel. And so there's a, a people who seek God, they seek His help. They seek his counsel. They seek his wisdom. When Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, Daniel doesn't come in and he goes, I know the answer to all your dreams. What does he say? He says, God alone knows prayers. He knows these visions. He knows the interpretations. So he takes it to God, going, God, reveal it to me. We see Joseph in the same scenario, right? Taking these interpretations of these dreams, going, God, you've got to, you've got to give me something. 
We see Elijah. When he's with that child who, who dies, he, he picks the child up and he's, he's Axel, oh, don't worry, I'll go, I'll take the kid. He walks into the room and he's like, God, what are you doing? He's like, come on, help me out here. What do you want? Do you want these people to kill me? And then God heals. But they had no thoughts in their minds that they were the heroes. They recognized and understood that they had to come to God in prayer. And so the sign of faithfulness not weakness, is that we come to God in prayer. Are there times when you go and you're like, oh, I really shouldn't be praying to God. I really should be more mature in this thing. Ever thought that? God, am I praying about this thing again? Have I not overcome this thing? No, you haven't. You're faithful. Go back to God in prayer. The faithful are those who are found on their knees. The world teaches us the faithful are those who conquer the mountains. Those who don't need anyone else's help. But not Daniel. Through Daniel, Jesus says those who are faithful are those who constantly recognize that they're in need of the great physician. He came for the sick. And the moment we think we don't need him, he withholds all that is at his disposal. He wants to help the humble. He wants to help those who are on their knees. Will he find faith on earth when he returns? Does God find faithfulness in you through the weeks? Are you on your knees or we only pray on Sundays? Seek God. Someone's heart needs to be changed. Do you think you can change it? Get on your knees. Do you need your husband's heart changed? Do you need your boss's heart changed? Do we need our government's hearts changed? We best find ourselves on our knees. There's one who can change hearts. It is faithful, the scriptures tell us, to find ourselves on our knees before God. We don't have all the answers. May liberty never get to the place where we think, we've grown so much, we're so mature, we've outgrown the need for Jesus. Never. May we be found faithful as God looks upon his people. Let us be a praying people, seeking hard after God continually, that part of our rule of life or our way of life is that we would have calloused knees. If we outgrown our need to pray to God. We want to be like Jesus, yes? I do. Throughout the scriptures, you see him stealing away to go to be with the Father. Stealing away to go and pray to God. May we be a people found faithful by seeking God continually in prayer. So firstly, the faithful seek God whatever the cost. Secondly, the faithful are first faithful in the little things. The faithful are first faithful in the little things. Faithfulness in the little things matter. What do we want? We want this rocking and rolling ministry, right? Lord, just give it to me. I'm going to knock it out the park with your power. But seldom does God do that. And when he does do that, inevitably, those people generally fall. Because their character hasn't caught up with their gifting. But what Scripture teaches us is that when we're faithful with the little things, Daniel, we want you to come and potentially command all of these Babylonians, okay, but I can't eat that food. What exactly happened there? We do not know. It's not described to us. And I think there's some great wisdom in that. Because Daniel understood that there was something in eating that food 
which was going to make him unfaithful to God, and so he was diligent and faithful in the little thing. What has God spoken to you? What food has he told you not to eat in your life space that you haven't been faithful with yet? Lord, but I want to rule Babylon. Don't eat the food. What is the specific call that God has been speaking to you over the last while? We had a discussion at Life Group around calling, and the moment we hear calling, right, we always think, yeah, this great calling that the Lord has for my life. But the way to get to that calling is to be obedient today. It's to be obedient to what God's saying today. Lord, I don't want to give food to the guy who comes to my gate, even though I know you're nagging me to do it. He should be working, Lord. But if the Lord's pressing that on your heart, you're delaying something else. The Lord is incredibly patient. I read that scripture again this week that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And the, the thing after that is saying because he is patient is essentially what it means. So if he has to wait another 50 years for us to be obedient to that one thing, he'll wait. He'll wait. And time is precious to us, not so much to him. He's got a lot of it. Faithfulness starts in the little things, saints. What has God been calling you to over this last year, two years, this last week maybe? Small little thing of faithfulness, what is he calling you to? For Daniel, it was eating the food. I don't know what it is for you. Whose table are you eating at that you shouldn't be? What are you doing that you shouldn't be? What aren't you doing that you should be doing? Faithfulness starts with the little things. We want to be faithful in love and gentleness, right? We want to be faithful in patience and all these huge matters. I'm constantly, Lord, just make me patient that I can wait on your timing. So I, Come on, Lord, let's go. But it's a small little patience, little moments, one little moment. Just waiting at the car for the kids. <laughs> but Lord, make me patient with your stuff. Patient with the little things. Faithful with the little Jesus was faithful to God in everything, but it started with the little things. His parents came looking for him at, was it 13? Don't you know I should be being about my father's business? I'd be in his house. But then he went and he submitted himself to his parents. He was faithful in the small things. But I'm the son of God. Why must I submit to these fallible humans? Because he was faithful in the little things. We want to just rush ahead and be faithful with this massive ministry that God is supposedly going to give us. But Daniel, just faithful with I'm not eating that pork. I'm not eating that whatever it was. If we're going to be called to these great acts of faithfulness, can we prove ourselves to be faithful in the small things? Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe it's in humility with your spouse. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in getting rid of that second invoice book. I don't know what it is. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It is Jesus who puts us into these areas of responsibility. Not us. We don't have to fight for it. Lord, I want more. No. Lord, I want to be faithful. And if you have more for me, Lord, I'm available. Let's find ourselves faithful with the little. I think of the, the apostles. Peter, I mean, we read these incredible letters, and Josh quotes it from Peter, these powerful words inspired by the Holy Spirit. But, I mean, you read Peter in the Gospels, eh? That guy gives me hope, much, much hope. Can we find ourselves faithful with the little? And what is God calling you to? 
What has God been speaking to you? Be faithful with it. And it's not always going to please everyone around you. On the contrary, it will probably upset people around you. The faithful are first faithful in the little things. Thank you, beautiful. Number three, the faithful live by what God has already spoken. The faithful live by what God has already spoken. What do I mean by that? We want this brand new revelation from God, right? God, tell me what to do. There is a bunch of stuff that we know in here that we aren't living by. And then we're asking God to give us more, right? So that we can prove to be disobedient to even more. What if we just found ourselves so entrenched in the Word, so aware of what God is calling us to? Makes me realize, I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier to watch Instagram Reels for two minutes, right? Than it is to pull out these pages and actually do some hard graft in them. Because Instagram doesn't demand much from me. It just wants to make me laugh or cry, I don't know, whatever it wants to do. But this wants to change me. And God has already spoken to us, but it's hard work. But the faithful understand that what God has already spoken, we need to prove faithful in. And so we want God to speak, and we want Him to lead us as a community, and that's all good. But there are some things which we know that the Lord has spoken to us through His apostles, but we refuse to listen to them. We let culture influence us. We try and read the Scriptures through culture rather than read culture through the Scriptures. And we get very muddled and very confused and begin to look at Babylon and go, is that how we're supposed to live? Or Israel, is that how we're supposed to live? We spend more time reading Babylon's books than we do Israel's. And so I had to ask myself, how much of my time is given to anything other than finding myself in the Word? And I'm not asking that question of you. You ask that of yourself. But I had to ask, what am I filling myself with? And that's a time issue. Because this word is very hard. If I spend five minutes on Instagram and five minutes in the Bible, I'm probably going to get more of Instagram than the Bible. Because this takes hard work. It takes time. So I was listening to a, um, a preach that someone was doing on Daniel. And he asked the community, saying, if we say that we're a people who are faithful to God and to his word, he then asked the crowd, who here has read their Bible this year? Well, I'm not going to do that. So who here has read their Bible this year? It's like, uh, the last three years? Uh, the last five years? It's a great question. If we're saying we're a faithful people who want to be obedient to God, how much are we found in the book of obedience? And the beautiful thing is that Jesus says, go and teach them all that I've commanded. So if we're completely stuck, we just have to stick to the apostles' teachings. Of course, the rest of it is scripture and is good for us. But Jesus tells the apostles to essentially summarize all that he's taught and all through the ages, all this history, and give it to us. And so the epistles are incredibly powerful for us and so applicable to where we're at. How much do we find ourselves in these things? I mean, Numbers and Leviticus, let's go to Peter. Nice and short, but incredibly potent. The faithful live by what God has already spoken. How much are we finding ourselves? How much are you finding yourself in the Word? Versus pick your poison, whatever else. How much you play games, how much you watch Instagram, I don't know, whatever you do. How much you surf, even the good things, compared to how much we find ourselves 
in the Word. And so the temptation for us, right, is to isolate ourselves because it's a lot easier. How do I stop Babylon influencing my thoughts? Well, let's just cut ourselves off from Babylon. The only problem is that we actually carry Babylon in our hearts. So we could try and leave and go find, become monks up on the mountain. We're taking Babylon with us. And I understand the monks, they did good things and they were trying to attend to something of the current culture in that time. But Jesus doesn't call us to become monks and to isolate ourselves out of the world because Babylon comes with us. What needs to happen is that Babylon's got to get out of our hearts. And the law of the Lord has to grow in there. That the Israel in our hearts has to be bigger than the Babylon, informing our thoughts, informing our desires. Because it's not just head stuff that we know the things of the Lord, but we need a desire after them. That comes from a change of spirit. I love the description of, ah, who's it now? Caleb. He had a different spirit. I love that description. Caleb has a different spirit. We want to be a people of a different spirit, the Holy Spirit, that drives our desires, drives our obedience, drives the things we want, drives our obedience to being faithful in the little things, drives our desire to want to understand the Scriptures and for them to be a part of our lives. That Where they challenge us, we don't like Instagram at least agrees with the stuff I want. This wants to take the Babylon out of our hearts and replace it with Israel. Replace it with the law of the Lord, which wants to give us life. It's not about lawful obedience. It's about giving us life. Jesus didn't isolate himself from us. If we were called to isolate, Jesus would have done it. But he didn't isolate. He came to be with us, but he didn't assimilate us either. He came to live amongst us, but to stay faithful to God. And so our call is to live in this Babylon not to isolate ourselves, but also not to assimilate, not to let the culture dictate and determine how we live and what we believe, but for God to do that. Because he also wants Babylon to come to faith, as Matt pointed out last week. How kind is that? Babylon, go sort out my Israel. And while you're there, try to get them saved. How amazing is that? It's incredibly kind. His desire is that everyone should come to the knowledge of God. Everyone. Now I'm asking God for that same heart, to desire that everyone, not oh, yeah, that Babylonian in my life, pfft, Lord, nuke them. Maybe he's given you some Babylonians to be kind and gentle to and to be faithful before, that the gospel can reach them. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals, says Paul. But can we be an influence? Can our good morals influence the culture around us? Do not be conformed to this world, says Paul, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. What force? So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have to have our minds changed. And culture is going to try to change our minds, but for the wrong. This the Holy Spirit, spoken word, written word, wants to transform our thinking. That when we look at authority in the world, we don't stick our finger up at it but that we look to what the Lord says, and he says, submit yourselves to human authorities because I've established them. But Lord, this government's so corrupt. Submit yourselves to the authorities that I've placed over you. Parents, what do they know? Submit yourselves to your parents, for in it there is blessing. Great discussion about husbands and wives and whose authority where. 
Why don't we look at what the Lord says? Because otherwise culture is going to give us a Babylonian view of what that looks like. And we're not going to live in the blessing in the way of the Lord. This culture will shape our thinking if we do not submit ourselves and find ourselves faithful to God. And it's going to be hard. Babylon isn't going to just take it sitting down. We have to find ourselves faithful with the little things. And we stand for these truths and we stand for our God with gentleness, with faithfulness, with kindness. That even if it leads to the cross, he kept his mouth quiet. Even though he knew he was perfectly innocent, kept his mouth quiet, submitted himself to God. Because that's really what we do. When we submit ourselves to human authority that is God-given, we're actually submitting ourselves to God. Even if it kills us, we've proven faithful. Babylon wants to teach you fight, kill, go take over other nations, annihilate them. I read some of the ways that the Babylonian guys would torture one another. I'm like, how did we get so depraved? How? It's because our minds weren't renewed by God. Babylon became a people whose minds were renewed by all the other weird gods. And the end of that is death, not life, not love, not kindness, not gentleness. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God. And I want to know what the will of God is for my life. I want to know what the will of God is for liberty. I want to know what the will of God is for each of you. That as we labor together and walk and serve Him, that we can live in these things. God has expansive ministries for us. God wants us to take the world. Not for our sake, for their sake and for His sake. He's an incredibly creative God. Created something out of nothing. And He continues that work with us. He co-labors with us. That part when He says, you're going to do mightier things than me. I don't know about you, but I, mean, I look at that and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Why can't you do mighty other things in the Lord? I don't know. But in it, he says, seek the welfare, right, to Jeremiah? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So we might pray, Lord, just destroy this nation. Then what? We live in that destruction. Or we say, God, bless this nation. Change the hearts of its leaders. Lord, Get rid of corruption. Lord, put a faithful bunch, minority, into government that the leaders of this country would be found faithful. And in its welfare, we will find our welfare. It's not trying to be the church separate from this country and like, oh, no. We want this country blessed. That we may be blessed and that they may find God. Because lastly, and the main point is that the faithful treasure the person of God. That is the point. All of these things that I've spoken about are because the faithful treasure the person of God. All of God's parameters, you know all the laws that he set in place for Israel? They weren't to crush the people. They were to provide a space for people to come and enter into intimacy with God. That was the point. That's where they started in the garden, intimacy with God. Through sin, they couldn't be in intimacy with God. So he creates a safe keep through the laws that we could enter into intimacy. But then through Jesus, no longer needing a safe keep, we actually enter, are able to enter into intimacy with God in its fullness. And that's his desire for us, intimacy. For some of us men, it's like, I've heard that word somewhere. It doesn't just equal sex. Intimacy is relationship with the Lord. 
God is calling us back into that place. That was always his desire. Israel's exile into Babylon. God, how could you do that? Because I want them back. I've got to teach them a lesson. Because they refuse to come to be with me. And that's God's desire for all of us. Faithful to be with him. I don't want to be a people who are faithful to the Bible, faithful to prayer, faithful to the Lord's Supper, faithful to fellowship, but we miss Jesus. He's like, the whole point of this is intimacy with me. Come to me. Constantine wrecks this whole church thing by saying, oh, we're all going to be Christians now. No, it wasn't God's desire. God didn't want Christians. He wants people who are intimate with him, who love him, who follow him because they love him. And you can't be forced into that. Josh White says that our loyalty to Jesus is demonstrated by our deliberate resolve to set him apart in our hearts as Lord. Lordship of Christ means I am not ruler of my own life. I'm owned by another. I'm surrendered to his will. The resolve to walk in obedience is the natural outcome of our real devotion to Christ. If we're not really devoted to him, we're not going to obey him. It's an attitude of the heart that says, I make Jesus Lord. And then it's the working out of that. What it means to have Jesus as the Lord of our hearts. And you and I were made by him, through him, and for him. He wants us not to be found faithful in a, just in obedience, but that we can be with him. That's his desire. And there are many in this community who have proven faithful over the years. I started thinking about it, and I was like, actually, we're going to be here for another hour. But if you look around this room, there are a bunch of people who have proven faithful, found themselves desperate for intimacy with God, and will do whatever it takes to get there. My prayer is just that we would continue to be that people. We continue to find ourselves faithful because we're desiring the person of Jesus. Not just obedient, not just following all the rules and following all the laws, but finding ourselves in intimate relationship with God and hungry for that. This crazy Peter, he gets changed by God. He writes to the exiles of the dispersion who have been chosen and destined by God, but we were in exile. You've been chosen and destined by God, sanctified by the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. That's why you've been sanctified, and to be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Liberty, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, you who are being protected by the power of God, how? Through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have to suffer various trials. What for? So that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though perishable, is tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice 
with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or the time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace of Jesus Christ, not your own ability to pull this off. will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. We're in exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. And now that you have purified your souls, how? By your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but imperishable seed, through the living and the enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. Faithful saints, our hope and our trust is not in our ability to remain faithful. It's in trusting the person of Jesus who proved himself faithful. And then we trust that the grace that enabled him to do that is given to us through his Holy Spirit. Can I invite the musers up, please? As we worship God this morning, can we try to move ourselves from a place of thinking that faithfulness is about what we do every day to believing and trusting in Jesus? From that place and treasuring him, from that place comes our obedience. From that place comes the renewing of our minds. From that place comes this outworking and this living of these ministries that God is calling us to. But the starting point and the point that we must dwell in is putting our faith and our trust in Jesus himself. This Daniel is an image and a picture of Jesus who proved faithful. But our hope's not in Daniel. Our hope's in Jesus. And so as we worship him, my prayer is that that peace and that joy that comes from His grace and from His life that issues from heaven, from the Father, will dwell richly in us.